This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. This week, a really moving story of an MGA that's raising awareness for Alzheimer's. Plus, the latest news from the world of MG. The MG Car Club podcast. Hello and welcome to another MG Car Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you. I hope you're well, keeping nicely as we head through into February. And already, I don't know if you've noticed this, already the days are getting slightly longer, which means MG time, show time might nearly be upon us. All we've got to do is get out of this lockdown business. Fingers crossed as the vaccination programme continues here in the UK and across the world. And it is, of course, across the world that I talk to the worldwide MG family. And it's great to have you all on board listening to the podcast. Uh, great to have so many positive comments about last week's show as well with Petrol Heads Welcome and Paul Gehring giving us some advice on how we might be able to take our MGs across Europe after Brexit and after the pandemic restrictions have been lifted. It's always good to look forward. Look towards the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what I always think. And we've got a tremendously positive story in our interview on this week's episode. We're going to be meeting James Davis, and he's going to be telling us all about this very special MGA that his father once owned and that has made its way through some twists of fate back into his family's hands and how he's using that to raise money and awareness for Alzheimer's disease. It's a really touching story, so I think you'll enjoy listening to that here on the MG Car Club podcast. But first, the news. And uh, firstly, from Kimber House, thanks to everyone for being so patient as the refunds are dished out from the 2020 MG Live tickets for those people that bought tickets for MG Live for the 2020 event that obviously didn't go ahead due to the pandemic. We are now refunding all of those tickets. It is quite a lengthy process, so as I say, thanks for your patience as we go through all of them. We expect to have all of the tickets refunded by the 1st of March. So don't contact us if you haven't yet received your refund. It's coming. It's on its way. If you still haven't got it by the 1st of March, give the uh, guys at Kimber House a bell on the phone and they'll sort it out for you. But uh, unfortunately, this is on the back of the news, of course, that we announced last week in the MG Car Club that the 2021 MG Live event has had to be postponed till 2022. Why do we say postponed instead of cancelled? Well, we wanted to reassure you that next year, in 2022, we really do hope to be returning to Silverstone with MG Live, the event that we've missed so badly over the last three years. So uh, all of the details on that, of course, via the news pages at mgcc.co.uk, where you can find other news as well. And congratulations to our friends... Over at the British Motor Museum at Gaydon, they won big at the Royal Automobile Club Historic Awards last week, uh, really on the strength of the fact that they still managed to put on various exhibitions throughout the pandemic year and, under safe circumstances, host events like we ran, like the MG Car Club Social, where, of course, we managed to celebrate 90 years of the MG Car Club, one of the few events that did actually take place throughout 2020 so a big congratulations to our friends over at the british motor museum at gaydon we'll be back there on the 2nd of october for a new mg social and also of course the 25 plus one anniversary of the mgf which takes place on the 24th and 25th of july at the british motor museum at gaydon there elsewhere in new mg news a pioneering taxi firm in the northwest of england has replaced 
its Toyota Aurises with MG5 EVs for its entire Premier fleet. Now, this taxi company made the news some years ago because they were the first taxi company in the UK to switch to an all-electric fleet. Their choice of car then was Toyota Auris hybrids, but now they've gone fully electric and replaced them with MG5s, the estate versions that we saw unveiled last October by MG Motor UK. They have rolled out five of these cars to be used in the Northwest, and they say that compared to the Toyotas, the MG5 EV has a larger luggage capacity, which is handy for them because they're always ferrying people to and fro the airport, uh, but also handy on local journeys for customers who've been shopping and uh, that they're collecting shopping for as taxi services do all sorts of different things to help people during the ongoing lockdown. So uh, that's Premier Taxis in the Northwest. You can read the full story on that on the news pages at mgcc.co.uk, where also, of course, you can access the club shop. Currently not sending products, by the way, outside of the UK as we get our heads around the current restrictions and also the impacts of Brexit on the costs of sending abroad but uh, we are working on that things are underway our postal services across the world will return very soon but you can see all of the new products via shop.mgcc.co.uk and lots of good stuff on there actually including still some 90th anniversary merchandise if you didn't get yours last year and a very nice this one for the ladies a very nice rose gold mg watch which is on sale at the minute They've taken 10 quid off the price. So you can go and find that on the homepage at the moment at shop.mgcc.co.uk. Also a full clothing range to be seen on there. And as our cars remain laid up in many cases due to the current lockdown and pandemic, make sure they're cared for and preserved during the worst of the winter weather with, of course, our range of Hamilton Classics supplied MG car covers. And these are the car covers that have been specifically found for MGs. You can even personalise them with your own MG logo, if you like. Again, all to be found via the shop at shop.mgcc.co.uk. Now, a very inspirational and touching story about a very special MGA is on the way next. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club Podcast. This week on the MG Car Club podcast, we have a touching story to share. It's the story of an MGA that found its way back to the family that enjoyed it the most through various twists of fate and is now helping our next guest to raise money and, crucially, awareness around Alzheimer's disease. We love to talk about cars, especially here on the MG Car Club podcast. Of course we do, but classic cars turn from being merely lumps of metal or examples of engineering, if you like, into meaningful objects when they touch the lives of the people that own them in a particular way. And through that, tell the story of some amazing people and their memories. 
Our next guest's MGA is a perfect example of this. Welcome to the podcast, James Davis. Hi, Wayne. How are you? Very well, thanks. It's great to have you on. Let's start at the beginning of when this car arrived in your family. It was all wrapped up with the story of your dad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, Wayne. And and, and from my perspective, the car's been in my life um, literally from the day dot. So my father bought the car when it was three years old. It's an MGA twin cam. It's a 1959. He bought the car uh, in uh, in London, and at the time, had said to me it was it was in a pretty sorry state um, from a, from a condition perspective. But he he effectively uh, lived with that car for 53 years, and he in 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 the course of his life, uh, I uh, certainly from my perspective, I, I as I said earlier, I knew, I knew the car all my life. It, started in it was born in the uk it was a uk car roadster car uh it had a, a fairly it turns out uh, infamous owner who who i can come on and talk about later but but dad had it for 53 years he lived in the uk up until the late 70s at which point uh, my parents separated he uh, set up a new life in the caribbean so the mga eventually made its way to the caribbean in the 80s where he and i restored it and from there, Dad had 30-odd years in, in Barbados. And from there, he and my stepmom retired to Canada. So the MGA went to Canada. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Dad um, was, you know, uh, he was diagnosed with, with a terrible disease, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia. And my stepmother made a decision, and I totally respect that, made a decision to sell the car to, to fund his his long-term health care and other things as well that she sold that were very dear to her so you know from my perspective dad had always he, he brought me up to be a, you know a petrol head i think we've all somehow got this bug from somewhere uh i, I thank my dad for that um he absolutely I, I i'm so passionate about cars and, and he always talked about the mg coming to me and we talked even when it was abroad um, eventually that the, the car would come back and he would travel over from overseas and we could come to MG Live and, and MG events. Because um, certainly in the 60s when, when he had the car, he, he raced it in uh, on the track. And he, he at the time, I've got trophies, actually. My stepmother subsequently gifted me, but I've got trophies, some, some tankards, some pewter tankards. So he was, he, was a, he was a, well, not silverware man, but a tankard, <laughs> pewter tankard man. He, he, he got a few... Uh, a few dongs for, for some some uh, events that he'd obviously raced in in, in the southeast centre. So, uh, which I'd like to research actually, give him some time and, and find out um, who he, who he raced with in period. So, so yeah. So a, a long long story. The cars travelled a lot of miles across the world, um, and actually, when it was sold uh, in Canada, my stepmom broached the subject with me and was quite sheepish. Uh, I did all I could to hold it together and, and, and knowing that it was absolutely the right thing that she'd done for my dad because she, she absolutely looked after him way beyond, you know, to a point that I thought that she should have in terms of his needs. I resigned myself to the fact, right, it's, it's that's it. It's the way it's going to be. And, and, you know, life happens that way sometimes. You can't, you know, you never would and, and never would want that to happen that way. But it was the way, that, you know, it was going to happen. So I collected a whole load of memorabilia knowing the car was going to come to me, kind of almost in absence of having the car, I got excited and collected memorabilia. I had some spare parts for the car. He'd left some parts in the UK when he emigrated. So I went about selling them all. And actually in the process of selling them all, met 
some amazing twin cam people and, and, and had, you know, as my dad used to have a phrase, having a ball, and, and he, he would have had a ball talking to them. And I remember the last, the last item I sold, it was actually an MG Car Club limited edition print uh, of two ex-Dick Jacobs uh, period race cars racing at Goodwood, MTW1 and MTW2. And I always admired and followed the cars on the amateur you know, not amateur, but on the race circuit and as, a, as an amateur myself. And so I'd sold this picture and long story short, the chap that had bought it said, you know, could you post it to me? He had planned to collect it, but he said, could you post it to me? And, and he turned out to be fairly local to me. So I said to him, thinking nothing of it, well, you know, I'm happy to, to drop it off, thinking I you know, might have a twin cam conversation. So sure enough, drop it off. And uh, it <laughs> turns out that father and son um, own both of the cars that were in the print. Um, Mark and Roger Daniel, who um, just inspirational father and son, and reminded me very much of my relationship with my father and the fact that we used to work on the cars together, but you know, they've taken it to a different league in terms of the work they do on the cars. So I told them the stories I've told you and, and the listeners, and Mark and Roger, they looked at me and said, you've got to buy that car back. You've got to get it back. You do you know, whatever you can to get it back. And this was probably a couple of years after my stepmom had said the car had sold, and it was in America. It had gone from Canada into America. And I, I literally said, look, I, I, I just resigned myself to the fact it's not going to happen. And the very next day, Wayne, the very next day, I went on eBay and randomly, as some of us do, typed in classic car and thought, hmm, see, wonder, you know, wonder what's through and, and what's available. Five pages down, and I saw this image in front of me, and I recognized the color. I recognized the number plate. And sure enough, the car was back in the UK on a timed auction. Wow. <laughs> wow. But literally, the day before, I, I totally, as I've just shared with you and, and the listeners, I totally shared the story and was almost of reminding myself. It was that that heart wrench that, that I knew, you know, I'd worked with Dad, I'd restored the car with him. We absolutely, it was, it was something that we did together on the basis I would have it as his legacy. And... You know, literally for the fact that the very next day it was there and I thought, well, this is fate and destiny. And a lot of people I've told the story to have said the same. So I, I simply had to buy it, uh, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's as if it was finding its way back to you, really. Well, well, well do you know, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't know how everyone feels about it. I, I've had a lot of people say that to me. And literally, of all the times I could have, I mean, it wasn't that I searched MGO Twin Cam. I literally typed in classic cars. So I, I kind of felt it was time to hawk the family silver, as it were. I did phone my stepmother and, and imparted the news to her, uh, in which she kindly provided a bridging loan. So I knew I had the capability to, to, to go and buy the car. But, but actually, I didn't know the dealer had to be a dealer. I didn't know if it was, you know, if, if he'd sell it out of auction. So I rang him. I was very open with him and told him the story. And I said, actually, I've never, ever driven the car because... I always knew it would come to me. And Dad, as I said, he raced on an amateur basis in the club. He was a very, very good driver, Wayne. I mean, he just I used to love being in the car with him, any car, but specifically the twin cam. So I figured, well, I've got plenty of time to drive that in my life, hopefully, so I'll enjoy every moment I have with him driving. Um, so he, so, so the dealer said, look, come up. You, you, you know, I don't have to buy it. You can drive it. I really want you to drive it. It'd be really important for you to, you know, to drive it. And him and his wife were there, and, and they handed me a folder. And this is this is relevant to the story in terms of what I'm going to do with the car. 
and they had him in this folder and said, you know, this, this came back from America with the car. And I looked at it and I went, yeah, I said, I, I'd actually put that together. That, that's my work. And I was going, flicking through the folder with them, saying that's me, age four, at Silverstone with my dad, and the first time I met my stepmom, and that's me, you know. And, and his wife got quite emotional. <laughs> and, and, and it is quite an emotional story, but it was that reconnection with something I thought had gone from my life. And um, I realized I was annotating. I was putting a story to the pictures. I'd never written anything under the pictures because the story was in my head. And the irony was that at that point, Dad, um, Alzheimer's really had a grip of him and he, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know my name. And that moment when a parent looks through you is, I mean, I'll always remember that. It's, it's a hard, hard moment. And I, I just thought to myself, you know, this is something I have to do as a legacy. And, and so thankfully, we managed to negotiate and do a deal. And he pulled the car off the auction and we shook hands. And I, I, you know, I felt amazing having done that. Um, and I was driving home and pulled off the motorway. And the phone rang and it was the Alzheimer's Society because I was competing, or not competing, but it was participating in a, in a memory walk, a forthcoming memory walk. And, and literally it was James... Uh, anything, you know, do you need anything, any questions you've got? And, you know, they've always been really supportive for everybody as a charity. They're a great charity, the Alzheimer's Society. And I said, no, I said, but, you know, uh, I'm hoping to raise a couple of thousand pounds and I'd have to go a long way to, to, to beating last year's target. And we talked about that. And I put the phone down and it just suddenly came to me of what I had to do with the car. So, so what I plan to do and what I am doing is I'm using the car at show circuits, um, show events to raise awareness and, and funds for Alzheimer's. So we've got a couple of raffle pins and I put brochures on the car that the Alzheimer's Society has given me so people can can, can learn more about Alzheimer's and, and where they can get support. Um, and then when I can no longer drive the car, which hopefully I'll be around to see, but I might not be, um, I, I have actually gifted the Alzheimer's Society the car in my will, should I not be around. But should I be around, um, then the car will be sold, but all of the proceeds will go to the Alzheimer's Society as, as a legacy to Dad. Great. He bought it back in 1964. Uh, an MGA twin cam would not have been a very old car in 1964, so it kind of had too many other owners before your dad. That's right, Wayne. It didn't, to be fair. It had one owner beforehand. Um, uh, my dad, Rob Davis, he was he was very good friends with Mike Elman Brown, and Mike Elman Brown, for anybody that, that, that knows twin cams, well, that knows... Um, MGs, you know, Mike's a, a lifelong, um, you know, fan <laughs> of, of MG, but he he set up the um, the specific, um, you know, MG uh, MG register, if you like, the twin cam register back in the day, um, and and Mike has rung Rob, my dad, and said, you know, a dealer friend of mine has got a, a twin cam that's coming in part exchange, and, and they actually suffered in their early days. Um, from mechanical issues in the engine and, and that was around compression ratios and, and you know they tended to burn holes in pistons and, and valves used to uh, disintegrate but you know in, in, as always the way that all got resolved but it was too late for the model and it, it got canned by MG but but dad had before that he'd supercharged an MG PB so he was he, he, he'd already he'd always had MGs and, and this car he'd always said to me it was owned by uh, an Italian and when the car came back, when I went to the dealership up in Liverpool, when the car had come back from America, 
Um, I have to say, I feel that old saying this, but when I put that folder of restoration photos and dad racing in the 60s, when I put all that together, the internet didn't exist. That was only in the late 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it had come back from America, and the individuals over there that had owned it had done some history on the first owner. So it turned out this, this chap was, a, was a, an infamous artist, a, a commercial artist, so, so not... Uh, somebody we'd instantly recognize but i did some more research on him and actually i've, I've just launched a website for the car which because i talked about when i was talking to the dealer and his wife i was i was almost putting that filling in the gaps of the picture history of the car i was i was actually adamant through the lessons i'd learned about alzheimer's that i wanted to capture the history of the car so that it could never be lost because uh, it's, it's kind of irrelevant, but as a detail, but when, when my stepmom sold the car, I had the history file. I had the original documents for the car in England, and the car was in Canada. But I was very adamant that when I found out the car had been sold, uh, I wanted the history and the file and all the documents to go with the car, because I think that's what Dad would have wanted. So I'd sold all of that. It was gone. Um, but I realized I wanted to keep a permanent history of the car, so it could never be lost. The stories that are uh, around that car could never be lost. And so, therefore, I set up the website, uh, and, and all of the, all of the pictures now are uploaded, and all of the, they're all annotated. So, so all of that history now is saved for future owners. But but it was really interesting that that when it came back from America, they said like this this chap Renato Fratini, and I'm thinking like this has a really Italian name. But it turns out he he was. He was brought over from Italy, couldn't speak a word of English. He was brought over by one of the, uh, the famous publishing houses in London, and he was a prolific artist in terms of film posters and book covers. So if I said to you, From Russia With Love, um, which you'd hopefully, and most people listening would think, oh, that's a James Bond film, I recognise that. Uh, Renato Fettini painted that iconic poster whilst he owned the car. And he also, um, there's, there's a little bit I've, I've researched around around a biography of him, which I've put on the website. Um, that there's a little bit around him, and he was quite a character by, by the sounds of it, which my dad was, ironically. Uh, so quite a lot of similarities between the two of them. But but he he, he yeah he was prolific, and at a time when the, the car new was round about twelve hundred pounds, did the twin cam, he was earning. A thousand pounds per piece of uh, or per poster that he was he was he was able to to work on and and I was going to say publish he's not publishing it but you know he's working on book covers uh, film posters and and there's a, a fair number he's worked on like Barbarella and Waterloo and the Carry On films so again not an artist that you would immediately think you know Turner or Constable <laughs> or, or Banksy or anybody like that but but you know of his time. Um, you know, I've subsequently researched him, and he was um, he was he was certainly by his peers seen as as being probably the best in his field. And when you see some of his work, which I've subsequently researched, it kind of pricked a little interest in me. I wanted to find out a bit more about this individual. Um, you know, I was able to do that. So so it was really interesting. Gotten the car back and saying it's mine, that I found out this whole part of its first life that I'd, I'd never known. So Dad literally bought it. As I said, when it, it was first owner, Renato had had it. Um, it. It was, I think, part exchange to Henley's of London because that's where Mike um, had a relationship with with somebody that worked there. Uh, and then it came into Rob's life, and it's changed colour three or four times. It, it was originally factory black, and actually, when, when I when I saw the car, 
back on eBay was relatively, well, it was very much as I, as I last remember seeing it. The last drive that Dad and I had out in the car, there were a few bits that had been done to it, almost you know, reinstalling of the hood and side screens because Dad always ran it in fair weather, so never never had such things. Uh, not not later in life, anyway. Um, and so, therefore, it was it was almost as I as I remembered it. And I think if it had been restored back to how it was, I probably wouldn't have wanted to own it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have had the same connection. Yeah, and he modified it. I mean, he he over the years of racing it, he he figured well, you know, I, I appreciate there are there are people who are you know that they love originality they're purists they won't like this car and i'm you know i'm not trying to please people with with saying that or displease them but you know dad um you know over the years modified the car to suit himself and he always felt that was the right thing to do and i as i say i I get that there's two kind of camps on that but had it come back to me as a factory original car it wouldn't have had that same connection. So, so all of the, the amendments and changes and alterations he made, either for drivability or cosmetics, I, I, to me, I've grown up with that. So, so, to me, it almost feels normal. It's part of what Dad wanted the car to be. Well, the mark of friendship is the mantra of the MG Car Club, and that <laughs> su- seems to suggest that people are more important than the cars. And in a way, that's true because it's the way that people interact with a car, how they change it, modify it, how it reflects their own personality, the stories and the memories that are wrapped up in it around people that that makes it so special and gives you the connection back to your dad that you've got with that car as well and so you know we know he was an mg fan you know we know he was an mg car club member tell us more about him what was he like as as a person your dad my enduring one memory of dad was how personable he was and many people even in the home um, towards you know the, the last days of his life, how personable and how you know much of a gentleman he was, and you know, he was an incredibly creative guy. Which, as I said, he had some very similar traits to the first owner of the car. I mean, Dad, he started off as a um, his apprenticeship he, he took with BOAC. He lived down in London, uh, and then he um, his family had a camera shop down in in um, New Malden in in London. So dad became involved in photography. Uh, he, he he was a professional photographer. He had a camera shop and actually relocated up to Essex. I was born in Colchester and they lived around Colchester for, for a number of years. Uh, so dad had a retail camera shop and then got involved late 70s into what was called audiovisual at the time, which again, I, I sound like a dinosaur on this, don't I? Because I'm talking about pre-internet, pre-this, pre-that. But, but audiovisual lane was effectively... Pre-video was the use of 35 millimeter, effectively slides um, and and projectors to create uh, certain um, productions in terms of you know screen projections uh, as was. So, so Dad got into a business that rented out equipment that that enabled conference conferences to happen. So that's sound equipment uh, and also visual equipment, so the slide machine, and then and then took an opportunity to, as a lot of people did in the late 70s. Um, to, to look at maybe leaving Britain at the brain drain of the late 70s. And, and there was a big expat community. He had some friends that, that lived in Barbados um, and, and so therefore relocated to Barbados. So over there, effectively, an enormous amount of work, well, almost solely in those early years for the, for the Barbados Board of Tourism. So he would, he would actually go out on global uh, 
expos, so effectively going out selling Barbados at, at trade shows. Um, he would provide all of the audiovisual support for that. And latterly in his career, um, he got involved heavily in video. Uh, and then latterly, which sounds glamorous, uh, but, but <laughs> please, you know, don't think of this anything other than what it was, which I'll explain. But he had a TV channel which in Barbados was called the Visitor Channel, which was a, a news loop, a weather loop, but effectively allows local businesses, restaurants, hotels to advertise. Uh, so when you go into the hotel room, click on channel, whatever it was, you, you would get you know news, weather, but also you, you'd understand you know what was happening on the island and, and you know where you could go. So, so he, he had this massive you know creative career, but he he travelled the world with it and you know, was so creative as an individual. And this disease came in and, you know, robbed us, well, first of all, you know, he retired, but robbed, robbed us of, of all of that skill set and capability. I mean, he, he'd overseen the building of a house. He'd restored the car. You know, this is a guy that, he puts me to shame, you know. <laughs> Wayne, I've got, I can't hold a candle to him in respect of what he was capable of doing. And he said, it's nice for me, and he'd just do it. Um, and then this disease came in and, and you know, slowly, it robbed us of family, his ability to drive. Ironically, in Canada, because the roads are so empty, you know, if you head north to the to the holiday cottage, you you could drive for literally three hours and not see another car. So he was he was quite you know very competent as a driver. As I said earlier, he used to race. He was great handling cars. And actually, it was only his Alzheimer's where he would constantly, almost like a sat nav, he'd constantly check in with you and say, "Do I turn here or do I carry on or?" Um, and it clearly became a, a point where, you know, his driving license was, was taken from him by the, by the authorities, and rightly so, you know, for the sake of, of, of his illness. But, but, you know, this disease, you know, as I said to you earlier, that moment that your parent looks through you and doesn't see you, I, I'd never prepared myself for it. And it's, it's something called consequential loss, where you're not losing the parent in a, in a tragic, as it all is, but a tragic, you know, instant uh, of, of them passing, you know, in front of you. you know, this is a slow, almost a slow degradation of them, of their personality, of their character, of their, of everything. You know, he was always someone who liked to laugh. He liked, had loads of friends. He was very social. And 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 I feel it's strange talking about him posthumously, but you you know, I, I celebrate that. You know, he he. I'm here now talking to you because of something he did all those years ago to get me involved in cars. And, and that's something I'll always be grateful to him for, which is why that legacy piece for me is so important. Find out more about this car and uh, and James's story via the website, mgalzheimers.co.uk. And, and looking through it, you say on there that dementia is the biggest killer in the UK. And not many people will realise this, but one person is diagnosed every three minutes. That's an incredible stat, isn't it? Yeah, it's truly frightening. And, and you know, I, I lost my mum a couple of years before I lost dad and lost her to cancer, which, is, again, is an equally evil disease. But but if you look at how much, Wayne, how much progress was made in terms of the fundraising and, and the research into cancer and how many, you know, real significant, uh, you know, um, or sort of some real significant activity has, has caused some massive developments in terms of treatment of cancer, you know, dementia is a disease it's in the same way i mean it receives something like um you know a, a third less if not less than that a third less of the of the of the research funding that, that cancer does so if you think about the progress we've made with cancer the same is true of alzheimer's and actually when you start and i work in the motor industry when you start listening to some headlines about 
air quality impact in, you know, when they find um, particulate matters in, in, in placentas of unborn babies and they say that, you know, living near a road and, and, and all of the, you know, there's so many things in, in the world that we don't know sometimes what impact they will have on our health and our well-being. And I know my stepmother is, is still to this day, she will look at me and this conversation is really awkward, but because dad, um, he was a photographer, but he also processed his own photography, his films, he developed his own films. Anybody that's done that knows that the chemicals involved with that are, you know, they're serious chemicals. And she would look at me and say, was it, was it something that happened in his early life that caused this to, to happen to him? But, you know, from my perspective, as I said, the Alzheimer's Society, they're an amazing charity. That they, as others do, you know, they, 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 they fundraise for research into Alzheimer's. But also they, they provide a massive amount of support for those that care for people who, who have Alzheimer's. And may, mainly that is the care of our family members. Well, as I say, it's a very different, different transition. And for me, I said to my stepmom, you know, she's gone from somebody who, as a husband, was, was literally the love of, of, of her life and still was, but couldn't have a conversation with her and actually became very introverted and actually latterly became like a toddler that wanted to constantly shadow her and, and in terms of without being graphic, you know, literally everything needs to be done. And I, I always, you know, I would shout out and I've said to her, you know, uh, the amount of respect I have for what she did for my dad was, was, you know, phenomenal um, in terms of for better, for worse, you know, sickness and health, which is, 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 you know, obviously a commitment you make at marriage. It's, it's just frightening. And, and, but actually in terms of that legacy piece, I've uh, worked with the Alzheimer's Society. So now I'm an ambassador for the Alzheimer's Society. So I actually do speak about not just Alzheimer's and my dad's story, but about legacy giving, because legacy giving through your will, and, and again, people don't like to talk about death, that's kind of, kind of a given, um, but you know, as many charities, but every charity, legacy giving is basically the route to which it keeps the doors open. You know, what, what you see in terms of them um, shaking cans and doing all that great stuff with runs and you know, cupcakes and all of that, which every charity does is great. It's the icing on the cake, literally. But legacy giving keeps the doors open with charity. And, you know, I've committed to work with the legacy team in Alzheimer's to say, you know, and, and, and many charities will do this, you know, they provide support in terms of if you want to go and, and, and write your own will. And again, it's a difficult subject, but, you know, for me, it's about giving something back and I'm doing it all in his memory. Well, I suppose there's two elements to the Alzheimer's Society's work that we must support, and that is not only the research into dementia and what the causes are and what the possible treatments might be in the future, but also the funding for the support that they need to give to those families as they become carers. And and, yep. and it's a sort of twofold problem there that they're, they're dealing with, isn't it? So tell us about how you are using uh, this wonderfully famous now MGA uh, to <laughs> raise awareness and to raise money for the uh, Alzheimer's Society. I'm one of these people at Cartier that will put something in the windscreen just so that if someone wants to stop by and read a bit about the history of the car, they can do that. And I've always liked that. And when I'm at shows, I always stop. If someone's done that, I always stop. And I, I like stories. I like telling stories, as you probably gather. And so therefore, for me, uh, it was quite easy for me to write the story. Although I've, I've met on a baby a piece of A4, it was a bit more challenging. But but I did that. And, and I literally, I thought nothing more of it. I put a few brochures out that the Alzheimer's Society had given me and a rattle tin. And the first show that I went to 
um, was the Stratford Festival of Motoring, which is an open event, but it's basically it's wonderful. It's in Stratford-upon-Avon, and it's a car show, and you can park up. If you book, you can park up, and people wander around. It's a great family affair. And I think for me, the reason I mention it is because, Wayne, for me, that was a really powerful weekend, and that was, well, nothing really happened last year for us, sadly, but but in, in 2019, it was two days on 2019, and I had I had a couple come up to me that had read the A4 sheet in the window that talked about the history of the car and my dad and and it was a husband and wife and they came up to me and, and, and the wife was quite emotional and she was she was in tears she went that's such a sad story and I, I looked I said well is it though you know ultimately it, it's got a positive outcome and she said well we, we run marathons every year for charity and we hadn't decided this year who to run for so we're going to run for the outside stuff so you know for me that was a big hug at the time we could hug <laughs> Um, and it was a, it was a great thing. Um, I had rattle tins on the car, and they raised over the whole weekend over a hundred pounds just just for people coming by and putting what they could in in the rattle tin. And and I think for me there was a really powerful moment right at the end of the show. I was almost the last car parked up on the street, the classic car on the on the street. And this this lady walked up to me and she had a high vis on, so she'd obviously been. Well, it turned out she was part of the organisational team. And she said to me, she said, I read your story yesterday. She said, I've never said this to anybody. She said, but I think my mother has Alzheimer's. And, and that's a really powerful thing. You know, you're not expecting it. And you kind of think in your head, oh, my God, I've been through this journey. You, kind of, you don't want to go down that road. And I just said, OK. So I listened to her for 20 minutes. And she just, she needed to talk. And, and, and I signposted her in terms of who she could talk to in terms of the Alzheimer's Society and her doctor and, and obviously getting some, some tests done. But I kind of came away from that whole weekend, A, having raised over 100 quid, having had the commitment of the charity running, some great stories. And, you know, again, um, that there was a lady with her daughter that came up to me and gave me this massive, she said, can I give you a hug? I went, of course you can, because I'm kind of a hugger. So she gave me a hug. She said, I, I care for, for, for people that suffer with Alzheimer's. She said, I read your story. She said, it's just so sad. I said, again, I said, well, yes, you can look at it as being sad. But, you know, I think my dad would be up there thinking, yeah, go for it. Just go for it. You know, get out there, enjoy the car, share the journey, enjoy what I enjoyed when I drove it. But I know that something good will come of it. And that is your constant connection now back to your dad because you're able to do something about that legacy and help others through it as well and and i guess that must be quite therapeutic for you in the sense that you you get to meet people that are suffering the same sort of loss and in the same sort of way and therefore you know you're not on your own do you know what i mean absolutely absolutely and and that's the difference as i said earlier about this consequential loss which I, I hadn't known it as, you know, as called about, and it may be called other stuff, but my stepmom had, had given me a book to read about it. But it's that whole piece where you, you're almost mourning for the individual, even though you see them in front of you alive. But you, you're mourning the fact their character, their personality, them, themselves as an individual, everything you knew has gone. And I think that for me, you, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't there when he passed away. And, and, and I was lucky that my, you know, my stepmom lives in Canada with my stepsister. So they did an amazing job of being with him at, at that last moment. And frankly, he probably was unaware of what was happening. But, you know, to see somebody who, you know, fundamentally any loss is tragic, especially when it comes to family. And, you know, you've got that love and that bond. 
And I'd had that with mum, as I said, you know, I'd, I'd lost her um, instantly, almost within within 30 days. She'd been diagnosed with cancer and she was gone. Um, so therefore with dad, it was almost like, well, yeah, but this has been four or five years. And every time I saw him, because he was in Canada, it wasn't like I could pop in and give my stepmom some respite care down the road. <laughs> this This was a serious commitment going to Canada and taking time out of work, which of course I didn't have a problem with, but... You know, she she did need respite. And I remember the time she said to me, look, good friend of mine's going to get married down in the Caribbean. Would you mind coming a week earlier? You know, you kind of be with dad for a week and I'll be back. And then we can have a week for all of us to be together. So two weeks in total. So that's great. And that week, I was just, I, I opened my eyes. Wayne. I was just, I was shocked how, you know, someone who you look at as a parent, could regress to being someone who you'd look at as a toddler. And, you know, I felt enormously for him because you see dad, you know, you, you absolutely feel enormously. But when everyone says to me, I have a relative or a friend that suffers with Alzheimer's, and I'm sorry to say it, and this is not, this is not said in any way to be competitive or, but I'm just going to go out and say it. Anybody that hasn't had that has a blessing in their life. Because frankly, this disease, because of the reason I've talked about in terms of how it slowly, it does slowly kill the individual. That's frankly what it does. It, it, it kills their brain, but it shuts down. That's effectively what, what dementia and Alzheimer's as a form of dementia does. Um, I'm sorry to sound quite you know, graphic about it, but, but again, people don't talk about it. And actually, people don't know that there are charities and support networks out there. Uh, and I remember the first time I joined the Alzheimer's Society had a, um, like a, a chat room area. And, and you just, you suddenly feel this weight off your shoulders because other people are going through not exactly the same, but they're going through a similar process of grieving. And that's what it is. And you're also having to care for that individual and love that individual that has loved you all your life. Mm. Well, it's fantastic that you're able to use a MGA, the cars that we love, to put something back into society put something back into the world and uh, this is the great thing isn't it classic cars are a way of bringing people together and bringing interest together not just about cars but about all sorts of subjects in life and I, I think that it's fantastic that you're able to use your your dad's legacy and your dad's car to spark that conversation off that will help so many people James to, to round off for people listening to this what would you really hope is the main thing about Alzheimer's and about the classic car world that you hope people will take away with them from this conversation? Well, that's a great question. I, I think for me, I'm, I'm going to be bold enough to say everybody on listening to this podcast uh, would, would absolutely say they, they love MGs, they love the brand MG, uh, and therefore, by default, they, they're going to love classic cars. They may not love every type of classic car, but they're certainly going to hopefully love MGs and, and classic cars and indeed modern MGs. So, you know, from my perspective, I think you know, I my journey really has only relatively recently started with this car in terms of I, I've owned it for two and a half years. And of course, as we said, I'm, unfortunately, and I hope everybody's staying safe that's, that's listening to this. And, you know, we're hopeful in, in 2021 to get back out into the show circuit because effectively n nothing happened last year. Um, but, but for me, it's it's to give some degree an element of hope to people that actually Sometimes people don't want to talk about, uh, you know, things that, that ultimately impact them inside. And, and I think, to your point, classic cars for me 
the, the smell, the noise, the feeling, the camaraderie. Of, there's so many things that I love about, about classic cars. And actually, I love meeting people that my same thing that I do, but they'll love something else. And I think the same is true in this case, that, that, some, that something, you know, there's some horrible diseases out there, but fundamentally, if people go away from seeing that car and reading that story, as much as if they finish listening to this podcast and, and they kind of go away and go, wow, okay. A, if you see me at a show, come up and say hello. And that invitation's open. I'm not scary, I promise. I won't talk you to that. Um, but, but come up and talk about the car. Come up and talk about Alzheimer's if you want to. Or take something from the car, take some literature from the car that, that gives you those pointers to go and talk to people that can, can support you. Because I think for me, you know, you, you, I work in the motor industry and we are fairly much branded as a non-diverse industry. So fairly male-dominated. I think probably all of us would agree that. You go to a classic car show, fairly male-dominated. But you know, behind every... Uh, every guy is a great woman, as often said, but this, this affects everybody. And I've had kids come up to me saying, my grandfather has this illness. What can I do? Can I take some brochures? Can I go and hand them around the car show? This is a way of uniting people just to have a conversation. Wayne. That's all it is. could be about a car. could be a family member. could be about, as I, as I had that conversation in Stratford, I, I think this could be touching my life. What do you think? You know, yeah, and mental health is such an important thing, and 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 we tend to, you know, especially us blokes, we bottle stuff up. Um, I, I just encourage everybody to talk about it. And for me, cars has always been something I love talking about. But here's something different. Here's something else that we can talk about. That that actually, as I say, I don't want anyone to be sad listening to this. Dad would certainly not want that. <laughs> He'd be like, "My God, son, you're on the MG Car Club. This is great. You know, you're talking to all the members. They're listening to you anyway. They haven't tuned out and fallen asleep." Um, you know, you're talking to people, and, and he was a huge fan of the club. And as I say, it was for me. I'm living, living his life, but in my version of it, which is it's just bizarre. Sometimes I pinch myself and think, is this real? <laughs> well, it's a great positive story, this James, because this car has somehow, despite the fact it's been round the world twice by the sounds of it, has come back to you. <laughs> it's found you. It's destined to be with you and your family, I think. And uh, it's certainly destined to uh, continue that legacy on of helping people and raising awareness uh, and putting something back into the world. And for me, it was your story there is just proof once again and people ask us all the time why should I join a car club what's the point of a car club well here it is you know this is a global family of people who yeah are into the same sort of cars yeah are into mgs but fundamentally are a group of people that come together to support each other in yeah. their hobby and their passions but also outside of that in life generally as well and all of the trials and tribulations that we all have to go through so um you know a great example of how the mg family across the world comes together as i said go and see james and as james uh, described go and go and approach him go and have a chat with him at shows uh, like mg live when you see him out and about uh, you can find out more information of course via the website at mgoutsimers.co.uk you can find out all sorts of information about the story of the car that we've covered there uh, from its very first owner right the way through uh, to james getting the car back as he described do what you can to spread the word of james's good work there with his mga but uh, for now james davis thanks for joining us thanks Wayne. subscribe to receive new episodes of the mg car club podcast at mgpodcast.uk